Welcome to the Bible Questions podcast brought to you by BibleQuestions.org and the Holly Street Church of Christ. This podcast is dedicated to answering your Bible questions from the Bible. My name is Jeff, and along with Brian, we are the hosts of this program. Welcome to the Bible Questions podcast. We appreciate you joining us today. My name is Brian, and along with me is Jeff. Jeff, good morning. How are you today? Good morning, Brian. Yeah, doing well. And joining us today is our special guest, Alan Hitchin, who's going to kind of guide us in this study. Alan, good morning. How are you? Good morning, Brian. I'm doing very well, and I'm looking forward to exploring this topic with everyone. So in today's podcast, we're going to finish up our study on the attributes of love that we find in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. And in our first two podcasts, we really sought to understand what this love is, agape love. And Alan did a good job in the first podcast of really talking about this idea of a new commandment from the Lord that we love one another and specifically have that type of agape love that he brought from heaven, that is divine love. And then in last week's podcast, we looked a little bit more closely and started to actually break down the 16 different attributes of love that we read about in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. And so before we get into where we left off, let me go ahead and read for us 1 Corinthians chapter 13 so that we can get some context about what we're studying today. So if you have a Bible handy and would like to follow along, turn over there if you would. So 1 Corinthians chapter 13, beginning in verse 4 says, Love suffers long and is kind. Love does not envy. Love does not parade itself, is not puffed up, does not behave rudely, does not seek its own, is not provoked, thinks no evil, does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. So Alan, as we began last week to look at all of these attributes more closely, we left off at love does not envy, or in some translations it says love is not jealous. So can you go ahead and kick us off? So the next two, which are parading or bragging and being puffed up. And once again, we're dealing with selfishness here. Uh, Life doesn't revolve around me. When I do something great, that doesn't mean that everybody needs to hear about it or that makes me better than other people. And yet, that's exactly how many people function today. They want other people to know how great they are. And they're not even interested in complimenting and acknowledging the great things that other people do. They're, They're so puffed up. They're so high on themselves. They're so, we have a new word today. Uh, they're so narcissistic. And these are people who nobody else exists but me. And my needs are all that matter. And if you have needs, oh, you don't have any needs. I can, I can do whatever I want to do because you're nothing. This is what the proud and arrogant person thinks. And when you find yourself wanting to brag about yourself, or when you find yourself looking down on other people as not being as important or as valuable or as useful or as talented or as intelligent or as wealthy or whatever you want to think about than you are, then at that moment, agape love has fled and you are acting like a very worldly person. Brian, you want to jump in on that? Yeah, it's a great point because, you know, what's interesting when we're young You know, our parents want us to be proud of what we accomplish. Hey, I had an A on that test. So 
it's interesting how as we get older, that can bleed over to become being a braggart, uh, parading ourselves or being puffed up, being proud, where to your point, there's a fine line sometimes between being proud of an accomplishment or simply wanting to let people know that you are doing good things and letting that turn into being narcissistic, like you said, right? Where it's all about you. Hey, I've done this. I've done that. And so while it's perfectly acceptable to be proud of your accomplishments, we have to be very careful about vocalizing that because I think that's where it now becomes hey, look what I'm doing. Are you doing the same? Or, hey, look at what I'm doing. I'm great. Now it's a mindset shift, and we're now taking that pride, if you will, way too far. Amen. And our listeners need to take that to heart. You know, I there's two verses that I really like, and I've kind of memorized them. The one is, let another man praise you and not your own mouth, a stranger and not your own lips. I can't tell you how many times I've gotten ready to brag about something and talk to people about how good I am. And this verse, just I just shut my mouth. Let another praise you and not your own mouth. That is such sage and wise counsel. And if we would take it to heart, it would help us because we don't need to be focused on what we're doing and how great we are. We need to be focused on complimenting others and helping others. You know, God could spend the entire scripture talking about how great he is. And of course, it would be true. And we want to say that to him. But he spends a lot of time praising us and praising different people because he wants us to be able to rise above our own weaknesses. And and the second verse that I've I've really appreciated through the years, let not the wise man glory in his wisdom, let not the mighty man glory in his might, nor let the rich man glory in his riches. But let him who glories glory in this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord exercising righteousness, judgment, and loving kindness on the earth. So here's God in heaven once again, helping us to get back to agape love. Don't be proud and arrogant because the proud and the arrogant are bereft of any ability to really grow and develop because they're full. You know, I remember a a movie once where this man just kept bragging and bragging and bragging about himself. And then he was asking for a cup of tea and the teacher just kept filling it and filling it until it overflowed and poured on his hand. And the guy looks at him and he says, uh, you know, you can't put anything in a full cup. If you want to learn, you need to empty. You need to become empty. All right. So the next one is rudely. Don't be rude. You know, there's so many people today who are just abrasive and sharp and rude, and they compliment themselves. I speak my mind, or or at least I'm honest, and, and yet they're just being rude. They are acting in a way that is mistreating other people, and they are saying things that are, you know... Uh, we, we do this. We, we our, our loved ones make comments, and we're so frustrated with them because we're not long-suffering that we just snap at them, and we're rude. And it hurts them, and it's hurting us because it's damaging our relationship. And so this is another area where our culture has reached a point where people are so rude, they don't even have a problem saying terrible things to, to people. Jeff, you want to weigh in on that? Yeah, well, and when you said that, I'm kind of thinking of 
you know, in a practical sense, like what's going on with social media or the quote unquote cancel culture, or, you know, if I don't like what you said, or if I don't like your political association, or if I don't like, you know, anything along those lines, you know, I'm going to just be rude and reach out and try to destroy you in any way possible. Also, in addition to that, I was kind of looking online at the definition of the underlying Greek word, which is kind of challenging to be unbecoming, to behave unseemly, disapproving of something because it is not polite, not suitable for a particular situation or occasion, uh, improper, not conforming to what is accepted as right, fitting, or in good taste. So, as you said, you know, our, our normal use of the word, you know, just being rude, it's like, you know, in this particular situation, keep your mouth shut. Or, you know, if there is something that's a little upsetting to you, then, you know, take the person kind of off to the side and, or, or at least, you know, count to 10, think about it. And then if there is still something about, you know, maybe take them off to the side. But just that rude lash out, you know, spout off in the middle of the situation, often in public, that's just not in good taste, so to speak, or not appropriate in that situation. Yeah. And, and again, I, I hope our listeners are taking notes. I hope our listeners are really, we're covering a lot of material very quickly. And I hope that we can give our listeners and those of you who really want to grow in this love, I hope that you will, as I say, make notes. Most of these, if you don't have a problem with them, you can kind of let them slide by. But if this is an issue for you, then write it down, ask God to forgive you, and get busy rolling up your sleeves to make some changes. So the next one has to do with selfishness. And again, the idea that the world revolves around me. Uh, the world didn't exist before I was born, and it certainly won't have much value after I'm gone. And uh, unfortunately, a lot of people live their life like that. They don't understand. I'm here to help other people. I'm here to serve other people. I'm here to give up my uh, enjoyment in order to help other people. And you say, well, that sounds pretty unusual. Well, that's exactly what Jesus did. Jesus was completely unselfish. He came to this earth and he suffered and died for us so that he could help us. And I love Jesus for that. I really appreciate him. It is such a wonderful thing that he did. And yet Jesus said, I want you to do that to others or for others. So if we look at our money, you know, I've, I've always appreciated Paul's statement in, in Ephesians 4 there, where he says, let him who stole steal no more, but let him labor with his hands so that he can have what he needs to give to other people. In other words, our money is not our money. Our money is a vehicle. It's a tool that we can use to be a benefit to other people. Brian? Yeah, you know, it's interesting to your point about Jesus. You might remember, I believe it was in the last podcast, we were talking about how, you know, some of the disciples of Jesus had this desire to be great and who would be the greatest in the kingdom and so forth. And Jesus taught them a very valuable lesson in Matthew chapter 20, where he says in verse 27, whoever desires to be first, let him be your slave. Verse 28, just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. And so when you think about what love does not do, it does not seek its own. It is not selfish, but as we've been emphasizing all along, whether it's our brothers, neighbors, 
people in general. This agape love says that we are to serve. That's our primary purpose, to serve and not be selfish. Exactly. You know, this concept of selfishness, we just read about it, do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit. This is Philippians chapter 2. But with humility of mind, let each of you regard one another as more important than himself. You see, if we put people on an equality with us, that's good. But if we can try to find a way to put their needs even above our own, to stop and consider, then verse 4, do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but for the interests of others. And then again, have this attitude in yourself, which was also in Christ Jesus, when he made the sacrifices that he made. So selfishness, got to get rid of it. It is the antithesis of agape love. It is just in the way. It has to be removed. The the next one is not provoke. And that's an interesting definition. It means to make sharp or to sharpen. And what it means essentially is, and this is dealt with in the Proverbs, that angry words, a soft answer turns away much wrath, but angry words can, it's like throwing gasoline on a fire. And so when we irritate and we provoke, I often think about these people who get killed on the roads here because they get irritated and they do something to show their irritation and the guy behind them pulls out a gun and shoots them. And I think about, I wonder what they're thinking now. They're dead. I wonder if they're thinking to themselves, I sure wish I hadn't provoked that conflict. That was very foolish of me to do that. Well, the time to think about that is before it happens. We do not want to irritate other people or provoke them or scorn them or despise them or exasperate them. These are all the definitions of of this word. And yet in our home, sometimes either the husband or the wife just delights when he's frustrated in provoking a fight, provoking a problem, making someone else do some things that they shouldn't do. And I think the devil's very good at this. He, he loves to provoke. He enjoyed what he did with Job, hoping to destroy him. And he lives his life like that. And we, we don't want to be like that. Jeff, you have any comments on that? Well, at least in ter- and I don't know if our, our listeners, particularly those that are in foreign countries, you know, relate to some of the idioms we use on our podcast. But as you were talking about easily provoked or provoked you know I'm, I'm kind of thinking of the term you know someone has a chip on their shoulder or sometimes we use the term you know a hair trigger uh, temper they just seem to be easily irritated or you know grumpy or you know they never have a kind word or you know the the slightest thing quote unquote sets them off or triggers them i've been hearing that word a lot lately i'm 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 triggered by you know this term or this concept or this political candidate etc and it almost seems like that you know the slightest little thing that the other does and all of a sudden we're we're up in their face you know with with anger with you know you know, either with the kind of, you know, suddenness of, you know, anger and, you know, the, the flash flash of wrath, so to speak. Or it's just like, you know, there's something going on simmering below the surface and it's just waiting to explode. And someone just happens to use, you know, slightly the wrong word or whatever. And, you know, boom, you know, we're suddenly find ourselves, you know, being provoked and it's like, rah. Uh, and it bubbles over and explodes. Yeah. And as you said, it has you know 
also additional consequences because often with that emotion it's not just where you're angry or boiling or you know grumpy inside but normally we say something about it and our tongue starts getting us in trouble or sometimes we actually start acting out on it and as you said you got road rage you got spousal abuse you know physical abuse verbal abuse child abuse i mean you know you name it and it's very ugly and that's where it comes from once again we're back to a lack of love if we had love we could not be provoked and we would not provoke others uh we we have to understand that you know and i wanted to point out to our listeners if you feel overwhelmed yet uh we're only halfway through the list and so love is huge it is the bond of perfection is what paul called it in uh, the book of colossians there we read that verse earlier it is it ties it all together it, it this is what makes me a devout christian this is what will make you a useful servant of the lord if you want if your love for god is greater than your love for yourself and as paul said i would gladly spend and be spent for your souls so paul felt that way jesus felt that way in the midst of being crucified father forgive them they know not what they do he doesn't lash out them out at them in any way the next one is is really difficult and it depends on the translation that you're looking at one has thinks no evil the other has does not take account of evil and i like that one better because this is a very interesting word uh, paul likes to use it a lot it's the word reckon or it's a bookkeeping term actually it means that i keep records god does not reckon sin to the man who has faith who has obeyed the gospel but everyone else when the books are opened on the last day in revelation chapter 21 there it says that all the deeds that have been done, we will give an account of them all. And every idle word, there's a bookkeeping, there's, a, there's an accounting going on. But agape love, on our end, we don't do that. I try not to remember what people have done to me because it hinders me. We don't want to reckon that. We don't want to write it down. We don't want to keep a chart of, okay, now you owe me, and then I do something to you, now we're even then i do something to them and then they hit me back and now we're even well what's this now we're even this is not agape love we need to absorb the hurts that other people do and not remember them you know we can't be a useful servant of the lord if we are continually keeping records of all the things people do to us and then responding to them based on their treatment but agape love says I'm going to treat you the way that I want to be treated, not the way that I feel like you should be treated because of what you just did to me. That is the epitome, or again, the antithesis of agape love. And so when Jesus says, all things that you want other men to do to you, you do unto them, for this is the law and the prophets, we call that the golden rule. And the golden rule is agape love in action. So we don't want to take account of wrong. We don't want to keep books on and throw things in people's faces. You know, we have a proverb in America, we're going to bury the hatchet. We use that when we are angry with one another. And now we're going to bury that hatchet that we had pulled out to beat on each other with. 
But I often say to people, yeah, you buried the hatchet, but you kept the handle out of the ground so you could grab it and use it again whenever you you needed it. And unfortunately, sometimes when a husband and wife have a fight and they apologize to each other, they hug each other, they repent to each other, but the next time they have a fight, they're throwing it back up in their face. And love does not do that. It does not keep track of evil. Go ahead, Brian. Yeah, you know, it's interesting, and I hope everyone is starting to realize more and more why this is such an important section of Scripture, because ultimately, a lot of the things that we're talking about says that we need to have a self-awareness, right? We need to have self-control. We need to understand how things can go so wrong if we are not actively aware of, once again, our emotions and those kinds of things. And so, as you mentioned here, Alan, I like the NIV because it says what you just mentioned, and it says, keeps no record of wrongs. And, you know, speaking of sayings, we have one here in this country, you know, I don't get mad, I get even. And so, once again, that mentality, especially when emotions are involved and we lack self-control, can be, well, you've done this, this, and this to me, therefore I'm going to balance the scales, so to speak. And Christians don't think that way. Agape love doesn't think that way. Instead, it allows, like Jesus did, to be punished or to be wrongfully treated. And we might say takes a high road or absolutely refuses to seek revenge because ultimately we understand that vengeance is the Lord. He will repay if that person doesn't change their behavior. Exactly. And I think that we're beginning to understand why that this love fulfills the law, why this love is the, the whole law depends on it or descends from it. I'd like to direct our listeners to uh, Romans chapter 12, starting in verse 17. Repay no one evil for evil. Have regard for good things in the sight of all men. If it is possible, as much as depends on you, live peaceably with all men. Beloved, do not avenge yourself, but rather give place to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine. Then he quotes the scripture, if, you're hungry, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him a drink, for in so doing, you will heap fires of coals of fire on his head. Well, those aren't coals of fire that we're punishing. Those are coals of fire hoping that we can get that person to repent. Jesus was never vindictive to his enemies. He wanted them to be saved. When he said, Father, forgive them, they they know not what they do, he certainly was not taking account of the evil that they were doing to them. So this is uh, just a very, very important. All right, so does not rejoice in unrighteousness. You know, one of the saddest things is when your enemy falls and you rejoice, when somebody that was a little better than you has gotten theirs. Now they're the one in trouble. And oh, I'm so happy that that happened to them. And love never is glad or happy when something bad happens. I mean, people today talk about what goes around comes around, or even this religious concept of karma, where If you do something bad, something bad is going to happen to you. And we're hoping for that. We're waiting for that. I hope this terrible thing comes upon you. Love doesn't do that. Love hopes for repentance. Love hopes for the opportunity for the person to become better. 
I'm sure there were some people in the time when the Apostle Paul, who was at that time called Saul, was throwing people into prison and voting to have them put to death and mistreating them. And I'm sure there were some Christians out there hoping that God would deal with that, hoping that something bad would happen to Paul so he would would stop doing those things. And yet, look what actually happened. God converted him. And God brought him into the church and blessed the church with so many wonderful things. So we don't want to wish evil on people. We don't want people to be happy when something bad happens to somebody else. Okay, Jeff. Yeah, in some ways this is almost like, you know, revenge by proxy. Meaning, you know, I didn't, you know, lash out or I didn't slash their tires or I didn't you know, say something bad to the boss about, you know, their behavior in a slanderous way, but something happened and they got their comeuppance. And we, you know, as you said, we tend to delight over that. When in reality, if we did want what was best, as you said, we would want them to repent, you know, not to suffer, you know, unjustly, or not to have, you know, something done to them that they didn't deserve, but that they would be, you know, treated as you said, as we would want to be treated. And, you know, as you said, that, that's a slippery slope for us as well, along with, uh, you know, doing our own <laughs> vengeance or our own revenge, so to speak. Yeah, and this is a classic problem in politics right now. I mean, when one of the candidates self-destructs, Everybody in the opposing party is just rejoicing over it. But it's completely the wrong message, and it it is a direction in our character we can't afford to go in. It leads us in a terrible direction. So we are not happy when something bad happens to someone else. But instead of that, we're going to rejoice with the truth. And so love rejoices when good things happen when true things happen, when the circumstances turn out or prevail to where truth prevails, goodness prevails. Uh, There's so many lies going on today on the media, in politics, and sad to say, in our business relationships, and sometimes even in a family, people are not being honest. They're not being, they are not rejoicing with truth. And when truth comes out and the ability for us to see clearly, we should rejoice in that. And so when we are seeing bad things happen to people, we're not going to rejoice. But when we see good things happen or when we see the truth coming out where people can see it, and I think sometimes that what I think what might be being said here also is, is that when somebody who's doing evil falls, We are not rejoicing that they fell. We are rejoicing in the truth that their fall has revealed. And I think that it's just a redirecting of an emotion. I'm happy when wickedness is destroyed. I'm happy when the guilty are punished. But I'm happy that truth prevailed. I'm not happy for the individual who had that happen to them. So it's just the direction that we go in. Brian? Yeah, and this is one of those areas where there's this clear contrast where he talks about not rejoicing in sinful things, you know, does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in truth. And, you know, I was thinking about what John said in uh, Third John, 
where he said in verse 3, I rejoice greatly when brethren came and testified of the truth that is in you, just as you walk in the truth. I have no greater joy, he said in verse 4, than to hear that my children walk in truth. And so for the Christian, one of the things that's just very joyful to us is when people respond to the truth and when good things happen and pure things happen. And sometimes those who are wicked see the errors of their way and they allow the truth to penetrate their heart and they respond to the gospel and they no longer do wicked things. I, I can't think of anybody that doesn't rejoice in seeing that and seeing how the truth can transform their lives. And so those are the things that we look for to give us joy. Not that somebody, you know, once again, received their just due, so to speak. Yeah, that's, uh, and, and again, our listeners need to focus on this because this is very common from the world and it's very difficult for us to rise above it. It happens even when you're young. I've seen situations where two brothers are fighting and the parent comes in and spanks one of them, even though the other one's just as guilty and they turn around and then and then and then and they're just so happy that someone else got and that's just kind of the way things are and we don't want that we want truth to prevail but we're not going to rejoice when something bad happens to somebody all right the next one which brings us up to two-thirds of the list that we're talking about is bearing all things paul and galatians talked about bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of christ so the people who bear all things are the ones who turn the other cheek. They're the ones that go the second mile. They're the ones Paul just talked about in the Corinthian letter. Why not rather take wrong? Why not rather be defrauded? But no, you defraud one another. So love is going to put the desire to absorb the wrongs and be a blessing to other people pray about it later, or even talk to them later. If your brother sins against you, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. But sometimes it's just forbearing. We have to tolerate. When somebody cuts you off on the road, bear it. Don't honk your horn. Don't yell at them or scream at them. Don't ride their bumper for, you know, the next three miles to show them how upset you were. Just bear it. And when people are mistreating us, bear it. Don't try to lash out. Okay, Jeff. Yeah, and you know, this is, you know, of, of the ones we've been talking about, this can also be kind of a challenging thing, as you said, in the sense that there are some situations where people might not say the right thing or might act a little bit out of character. And, you know, we're tempted to immediately, you know, jump on them, say something, etc. Whereas this concept here might say, and I'll just use a common phrase, just let it go. Just let it go. You know, it's, it's not that big a deal. We don't need to make a big fuss about it. You know, they may not have meant it. Just let it go. And I say it's a challenging one because on the one hand, we're, you know, tempted to, you know, jump in their face when we should let it go. The other aspect, and I, this may be a little bit too far away from, the, you know, the main topic of the podcast, is sometimes we let things go when we shouldn't, which I think you were kind of alluding to. Like if this person is, you know, sinning, well, burying all things doesn't mean we just let them go on sinning without saying anything because, you know, we're bearing up with it. It's like, well, no, or yeah, we're being abused by our spouse continuously, whether that's you know, verbal abuse, physical abuse, etc. And we're burying it like a doormat 
you know, there, there are some situations where we, you know, need to take action, appropriate action, and that might be legal action. But in general, we should have that tendency, as you've been pointing out, of being easy to get along with people and not, as we said earlier, you know, having that hair trigger, you know, well, we're just going to have to, you know, correct them right away. That's sort of like, you know, some things we just need to let go. Yeah, that's exactly right. And the scriptures are just full of that. God is so forbearing toward us. He bears so many things. Person who says, if if I'm not doing what's right, strike me down. God will bear that. He's not going to strike them down. He says, I've, I'm going to give you time to repent. You have enough opportunity here because I'm forbearing and I'm bearing all of these things. The next one, believing all things, is an interesting concept. I've always worded it like this. You put the best motive, put the best possible motive on what people do. You don't look at them and believe the worst. You believe the best. And so you are looking at people, hoping for them to rise above their own weaknesses and treating them like they have risen above them so that you give them the ability, you uphold them and you bolster them by acting like they are there. Sometimes you do that. You believe all things. You put the best possible motive on people. You try to not accuse them. or One of the sins in the scriptures is evil suspicions. In other words, somebody who is always putting the worst motive on what people do and you're out for this or you're trying to do that or you're trying to hurt me or this or that. And they're not at all. And we need to get around or get away from this idea that other people are sinister. Other people are, in other words, we don't want to meet people with with a negative aura already about them. We need to put the best possible motive, right? Yeah, it's interesting here. You know, the Greek word, as you've touched on, really conveys that. It says to have faith in, upon, or with respect to a person or thing. So think the best. And this is one where, in my experience over the years, it's easy to fall into the trap of, well, this person acted this way in the past, so therefore I'm going to naturally conclude that they're doing it for the same reason. Or sometimes we even have mental turmoil because we are not putting the best motive on something and we're doing the opposite, we're thinking the worst. And, you know, it's something I've been guilty of. I have a feeling all of us have where we, unfortunately, because of past experiences, not necessarily just with a person, but just in general, tend sometimes to jump to conclusions, as we might say. But I feel like it also gives us peace of mind to say, you know what, I'm going to believe the best until proven otherwise. And once again, that's a godly quality, right, that we're clearly seeing here. And it makes sense because it helps us. And it's certainly the right thing to do, of course, to the other, which is more important. Yeah. And the next one pretty well follows in the same footsteps, hopes all things. So it believes all things by putting the best possible motive. It also hopes all things. And that would refer to, and let's bring it into our family. You know, I've got a son who's incorrigible. I've got a son who is always choosing, making the wrong decision. And yet, as a parent, I'm still hoping. I'm hoping for the best. I don't use what he's done to beat him up or discourage him. I'm still encouraging, still trying to help. You know, it's like that Corinthian fornicator that Paul's just finished talking about back in chapter 5. He needs to be dealt with. This man is committing sin. Well, in the next letter, he's repented. 
And Paul says, you need to bring him back and you need to treat him like this never happened. And you're hoping that it never will happen again. And you don't take account of evil. So you're not going to remember it because he's been forgiven. And as I said, some of this is hard. This is very difficult when human relationships, when, you know, if it's not my son, if it's somebody else's son, maybe I'm hoping that something bad will happen to him. Maybe I'm not hoping for the best. I'm hoping for the worst, you know, going back to some of the things that we've already talked about. So agape love forces and pushes us to reach a level where whether we're in the present or the future or the past, it has an impact. I don't take account of evil in the past. I treat people well in the present, and I'm hoping for the best for the future. And that's how we need to conduct ourselves. It's how we need to be thinking, and it's not. It's how we need to be talking, and it's how we need to be acting. Jeff? Well, and that concept of, you know, hoping, you know, hoping for the best, you know, certainly puts us into the proper mindset, you know, viewing the person to some degree that, as you said, Hoping things will turn out for the best, and if you th- see things, if you see movement in that direction, you know, you're attuned to it, starting to rejoice because of it, etc. You know, as opposed to what we said before, if we get crosswise with a person, and we certainly see this in the political realm, where, you know, the other person can do no good. Everything they do, everything they say is, you know, viewed through that filter that, you know, they're mean, they're evil, they're, you know, whatever. And so we have no hope, we have no expectation, we have no, you know, desire to, you know, be on the lookout for the good, the good signs that there may be a, you know, change of heart, so to speak. You know, the other thing I'll just, you know, toss out there for, you know, for whatever it's worth, as you were talking, I was reminded of the parable of the prodigal son. In fact, in Luke 15, the, you know, the son is, you know, taken his stuff and gone off and wasted it in riotous living. He's finally come to his senses. Now he's journeying back to the father. Uh, Luke 15 verses 20 talks about the son. He arose and came to his father. And when he was still a great way off, his father saw him. Now, I don't know how much to read into that, but I just wonder if the father had this, as you said, hoping, just hoping, hoping, praying that someday, somehow his son would come back and actually, I don't know, physically looking for him. But uh, while the son was still a great way off, his father saw him. And again, I don't want to read too much into that. But at least in this concept of, of hoping for the best, you know, certainly something that we can, can do. And, you know, as you were talking, I feel like we kind of failed our listeners in one respect here because all these qualities that we've talked about, we have talked about in the context of our fellow man. But they should also be our concepts toward God. And many of the things that we've talked about reach toward God. And, of course, God is hoping for the best for all of us. And God is manifesting all of these qualities toward us and hoping that we will manifest them to others and that we will manifest them back to him. And I recognize that many of the things that we've said wouldn't really apply directly to God, but we are to love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And if this is agape love, then we need to apply that to him just as much as we apply that to ourselves or to our fellow man. 
And I think the next one really fits well with that, endures all things. Now, certainly the problems that other people throw at us, we need to endure them. We, we don't want to flush them. We don't want to get rid of them. We don't want them to be taken out of our life. We will endure. And of course, that's infinitely true of our family members, but it's also true of people in the community. You know, I want to preach the gospel to people. Sometimes they're rude back. Well, you endure that and you just keep going. You're trying to help people get to heaven. And the same thing with God. I'm willing to endure anything that happens in this life and I'm still going to be faithful. Job loved God and God knew that. That's why he told Satan, Satan, there's nothing you could do that would break my relationship with Job because he is that kind of a man. And God was right. Job endured everything. He never, ever spoke evil. He never blasphemed God. He never got mad at God. And so what we endure in this life, we don't need to throw back at God. And on the other hand, we also need to be ready to endure whatever other people do and keep on loving them and keep on treating them well. Brian? Yeah, and I think over time, this really becomes the characteristic of being a more mature Christian. You know, it's similar to the Greek word when we were looking at, you know, this idea of bearing all as far as enduring patiently. This one carries the same thought in the Greek. It says to have fortitude, to persevere, to endure, to take patiently, to suffer. I love that Greek definition because it really says that if we're mature, even though it may be easy for us to lose our cool, lose our temper, those kinds of things, as we're more mature and have this type of love, we are able to endure and not go down this path of sin or uh, immaturity, if you will. So wonderful uh, words here. All right. And so uh, we finally reached the end for our listeners. Uh, love never fails. Cannot be pushed past. Some people will say, well, I've endured this, 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 and this, and I'm not going to endure another thing, or I've had it up to here with all of this. Love doesn't do that. Love will never, ever come to an end. It will never, ever stop our love for God, God's love for us, our love for our family and our friends and our loved ones and our neighbor. Never fail. You can't push it to a point where it snaps. You can't push it to the point where, okay, that's it. I've been kind, I've been patient, I've been loving, but I'm not going to take another thing. Uh, that's it. No, love never, ever fails. And so uh, when I when it fails, it's a flaw in me. Whenever I say, that's it. Whenever I think to myself, I've, I've had enough, I'm not going to put up with this anymore. Well, you've just left agape love behind. Because you would never say that if you had that agape love. You would never allow anything to reach a level where it can be broken. I live to be of best interest of other people. I live to serve and help God and help them. And that's my mandate. That's what I was created for. And that's how I should feel. And there's never a point where that goes away. Yeah, one thing I might just kind of add to that a little bit is also the sense that this need for love never fails. And, you know, certainly the attitude of, of love that we have for others, you know, shouldn't fail. We should always have it. But also there will never come a time 
either in our lives individually or in you know humanity's existence collectively where you know we no longer need to do this in fact just as a small side comment that's the point that uh, you know paul's making there in verse 8 of second uh, corinthians 13 you know again within the context of spiritual gifts you know he's going to contrast it you know th- this thing called love yes you need you know it, it is always needed is always going to stay around and all these other things you've been squabbling about, like these spiritual gifts, you know, they're going to cease. They're going to vanish away. They're, they're going to disappear. But this need for love remains forever throughout all time. And that's why Paul closes out this chapter. And we'll, we'll do the same. This will be our last verse for this podcast. Now abides faith, hope, and love. These three. But the greatest of these is love. And I've always been interested in this because we all know that it's our faith that God reckons as righteousness. Our faith is critical to, without faith, it is impossible to be well-pleasing to God. And so, but love is greater than faith. Love has a more important role than faith. Matter of fact, faith and hope will end when we come before the Lord Jesus Christ, when we, when the second coming occurs, but love will continue into eternity. And love, the entire law hangs on it, and it is that which will bring us to the bond of perfection, and now we learn that it's the greatest. So the efforts, you know, and let me just remind our listeners of another podcast. We talked about Second Peter 1, where Peter says, add to your faith, And then, of course, there's seven things or six things to add to our faith. But the last one is agape love. So this needs to be our focus. And of all the things Peter mentions, this one is now designated as the greatest. So as we're adding to our faith, the virtue, the knowledge, the self-control, perseverance, the godliness, and the brotherly kindness, but the greatest of these is love. So I hope our listeners have appreciated this. I know it's been a a little bit cumbersome. I know it's one of those lessons where we are dealing with definitions and precise things, and sometimes it's hard to keep listening to that. But I hope you've worked worked with us through this because these things will change your life, and these things will make you great in the kingdom of heaven. Yeah, they certainly will. And appreciate all your good thoughts on this, Alan. It certainly has been worth doing a little bit of a deeper dive And, you know, we were talking earlier about some Greek words and how sometimes it can be beneficial to look at the definition of the original words that were used. And, Alan, you had talked about, you know, it would be worth buying some references to be able, like Vine's Expository Dictionary, to do a little bit deeper digging. You know, the good news is if you're not able to buy it or you would like to just access a resource for free, If you go to our website, BibleQuestions.org, under the More section, we have a subsection called Study Aids. And if you scroll down the page, you'll see there is a section on this page that says Dictionary and Encyclopedias. And Vine's Expository is available online to be used for free. So, you know, if you click on that link and it takes you over there. The good news is, as we've been talking about, you can, like, say you select the word Envy. It's going to give you the original Greek word, and then it's going to give you the definition in Greek. Like, you know, envy is the feeling of displeasure produced by witnessing or hearing of the advantage or prosperity of others, things like that. So would encourage our listeners, if you would like to dig into this a little bit deeper, to just continue your study by looking at some of these words, and then hopefully you can reflect 
on some of the points that we've made, and more specifically, some of the passages of Scripture that we referred to so that you can look and make the application in your own lives. So, Jeff, I'll turn it over to you to uh, close things out. Yeah, the only thing I might add on this particular topic is it's one of those topics that has all different kinds of facets or aspects or ramifications or you know, as a foundational kind of thing, it kind of permeates our thinking and attitudes and behaviors and how we talk and how we act. In, in some ways, it's almost like a, you know, at least we have here within the United States, we have things called uh, puzzles, you know, all these different kinds. It's, it's like a photo of something. And it's, it's broken up into all different kinds of pieces that you have to put. You have to begin to put all the pieces or at least most of the pieces together before you can kind of see the whole picture. And in some ways, love is kind of like that with all these different words and phrases and scriptures that are trying to portray it in all of its uh, glory, so to speak. Likewise, similar to that, uh, at our website, there's a number of topics in our topical index that would have uh, applicable material uh, as well, you know, to today's topic of love. And of course, we've got, you know, under topics menu item, you know, L for love. Okay, that's pretty obvious. But a lot of the other things we've touched on today, A for anger, E for envy, H for humility, P for patience and perseverance and pride, S for suffering, and finally, the one that often gets us in the most trouble, T for tongue. <laughs> and the kinds of things are uh, we use our tongue for when we don't have love that we should, or that we, you know, things that we should use our tongue for when we do have love for a person. So therefore, lots of topics at our website, which we would always encourage our listeners to uh, take advantage of. There's the study aids that Brian mentioned, so I appreciate that as well. Lots of material, and as we always say, Yes, there's the material, but also pay particular attention to the scriptures. You know, open your Bibles, dig into your Bible, and see what it has to say. And as always, I encourage you to uh, examine your life in light of that and make the kind of changes that need to be made. Thank you for listening to this edition of the Bible Questions podcast. We invite you to visit our website, biblequestions.org, where you can submit a Bible question to be answered. And you can also search archives where we have answered several hundred Bible questions over the years. Our website also has a host of free Bible study material, free correspondence courses, as well as sermons and a host of other material. Please stop by and check it out.